0: every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe.
1: I would have been like, if I ever see that guy again, this is what I'm going to say. And he's going to know I am so over it. And I'm going to seem so cool. And I'm going to make sure that I look cute every day, but I'm over it.
0: Yeah. (laughs) and Look at me. I'm in college and I have curtain bangs now and I'm hot. (laughs) and welcome or welcome back to Talking Ship Podcast brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Megan Fitzgerald and welcome if you're tuning in for the first time you're tuning in for our brand new season a brand new relationship one that uh, we all have a lot of feelings about but before we get in before we get into them um, wow there's gonna be a lot of bad Irish accents on this (laughs) season but before we get into that I'm going to introduce my co-host for this season. You may recognize her from HBO's Insecure, or, ready, you might recognize her voice from the roundtable we did on HBO's Insecure. I'm here to introduce writer, director, producer, actor, a woman of many talents, Vika Stubblebine, hello. Hi, I'm gonna like save that as my
1: ringtone.
0: (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I love hyping my friends up. Amazing,
1: thank you. I'm so excited to talk about this uh, mystery couple.
0: (laughs) Oh yes, this is a big mystery. Yeah, I always like. I'm like, oh, the wind up. It's in the title, Megan. Um, (laughs) I have to say, I was inspired to do this. I was trying to find like a good couple to wrap up the year with, and I got the inspiration from your. What we call it? Do you call it a web series or an Instagram series? I'm calling it an Instagram series. Okay. Vika did an Instagram series called Save the Date and everyone had a different plot line during quarantine and yours of binging all of normal people. I was like, oh God, that is something we all did during the pandemic and we have to talk about it.
1: <laughs> yeah. I think we were all, those of us who watched it, uh, which is everyone probably listening to this, just sat there and broke our hearts into a million little pieces. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but like, it was very accurate. In the the uh, series that she's referencing I was like improving, and I was like uh, maybe I'm a masochist because I watched
0: the whole thing and why did I do that to myself like in real life this is not a funny show yeah and I, as a comedian and actress
1: who usually does comedy I was just like what do I do I know I feel like Megan is such a great host and I want to be able to bring a little zing
0: and a little zazz, but I'm sorry. This show makes me cry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I put you in an unfair position. When you come back to do Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, we'll have jokes <laughs> per minute. Jokes per minute. <laughs> that will be like 30 rock jokes per minute. But until then, I was going through the outline. I was like, do I have any jokes? <laughs> but yeah, everyone, you may know Normal People is the show everyone watched in May about the moody Irish angsty teens. And I wanted to talk about it because It's always been a thing of people binging a show all at once. I mean, within the past, in the streaming years. Mm -hmm. But I think especially during the pandemic, to have something that everybody watches all at one time is such a cultural moment. And I think we all had that with this show during quarantine, or at least those listening probably did. Yeah, and I don't know for you because do you read the book? Did you read the book before the series? Yeah, I read the
1: book because it was on Obama's list. Oh, of good like, for him! <laughs> yeah, of his like top—I I forget how many he does, but like top books—and I loved it. And w- as with any book that becomes a TV show or a movie, I was so scared that they were going to mess it up. Unlike most things that get adapted, I was obsessed.
0: I thought they did an amazing job. Did you read yeah. the book? I, I read the book after. I read the book for this. So you feel like the series is a good adaptation? I do. I feel like it's,
1: um, A good companion piece, if you will. yes, I agree. (laughs) Because I feel like the book is so interior. And that is what I thought was going to be hard about adapting it. So much is happening inside these two people's heads that they don't communicate with the outside world. And it's just that we share their thoughts with them. And I was like, how are they going to do that? I think it's just going to be like a lot of voiceover, which as you know from watching the show, like there's no voiceover. Yeah. I think what's cool about the show is that you see how other people perceive them in the moment. Whereas in the Mm -hmm. book, you see how they see themselves. They think they're being so clear or they are so confused, but the other person is not getting that. So I think the show does a good job of showing both sides.
0: Yeah. That's interesting that you say book to series is a good companion piece because I feel like watching the series first and then reading the book, it's kind of like, when you would watch Gilmore Girls on a DVD box set, and then they would have this guide that it came with, with all the references and stuff, where you're like, yes. do you want to know more to fully understand what's going on here? Why don't you read the book? And then you get the full interior monologue. Hell, Hell yeah. I to say, highly recommend both. You just get a richer understanding of what these characters are going through. But yeah, I wanted to talk about it because I think to all of us, to what you're speaking of, of like they're being unclear with each other, people were so opinionated about this series because it was so frustrating to watch these people miscommunicate time and time again. And I feel like this may be the pandemic of it all, but so many people brought it up to me before I watched it and were like, have you watched it? Have you watched it? It's going to make you want a relationship. And the first few episodes, I was like, what's going on? You all <laughs> don't want a relationship. You're all just horny for Paul Mescal, Mescal, Mescal. Ms. What do you say? I'm going to be like, yeah, like the drink. I think it's like Irish though. So stop. I think it's Mescal. We know who we're talking about. We're horny. We're horny for, I was like, y'all are we're just horny. Horny. <laughs> You're all just horny for this Irish lad. And then I think it hit me. I don't know. There's something about the sex scene when they're in college and her like beautiful bed with yellow quilts that I was like, Oh, something's <laughs> happening in my heart and in my body, and now I do want this. And then re-watching it now, nine months into quarantine, was mm-hmm. a whole different experience. Now I've been alone for so long. <laughs> it's the same, girl. So yeah, it hit differently the second time. I was like, okay, yeah, I see why people want a relationship like this, and I also see the many problems in this relationship. So mm-hmm. it's, it's rich, rich with content.
1: Yeah, I think it's also... Uh, one of those things that's like nostalgic while it's happening
0: uh-huh. uh,
1: the first time I ever fell in love was in high school, and it was not like this where like they it's mutually <laughs> I mean, you know whatever it is. But I was like remembering and romanticizing yeah. and just, like gave myself bangs at my memory. You know? <laughs>
0: That's funny that you said that. Yeah, because I had a friend be like, it made me upset that I didn't have young love. But I would argue that there, I mean, there are parts of this that are very like young love or being in love while figuring yourself out. I think the parts that we really do love about the relationship transcend age. So everyone don't give up hope. Um, If you want to love like Marianne and Connell, yeah, you can still have it. That leads nicely. Let's talk about what this relationship is in broad strokes you know, because that's we're gonna spend the rest of the next two episodes breaking down what their relationship is. But for those who are being introduced or reintroduced, what is this relationship? How would we define it? I think some of it does come down to this idea of quote, normal people. So what do we feel like that means in terms of what is this relationship? What does it mean to be a Marianne and Connell relationship?
1: Ooh. Um uh. <laughs> So when I was thinking about this question, I was like, God, I don't know what is normal, what are normal people. Yeah, yeah. But I think it highlights both the feeling of other, both Mm -hmm. of our protagonists see themselves as outsiders in one way or another. And I think that they together are special. There's a a part where Marianne says to Connell, it's not like this with other people. and, And I think that that's, what it is especially when you're a teenager which is when they meet I feel like everyone else seems to understand what's going on and and everybody sees everyone else as having it together or getting what this whole like life thing is about they are caught up in their own insecurities like we all are especially at that age but together they feel like things make sense that's what it is It's like they keep coming back to each other to this like safe place and this place of acceptance and then to answer sort of the other part i think what's interesting about this whole book and show phenomenon and and like us loving it so much is that it's truly about two people who like miscommunicate, who hook up and never define their relationship and Mm -hmm. fall apart over and over again. (laughs) So like none of that makes me be like, oh yeah, I want this healthy relationship. Yeah, Yeah. But then watching it, I'm like, oh my God, I want this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Do you want to bring it just because I love that you have it in the notes, the quote. Mm. Okay, so
1: at the beginning of the book, there is a quote, it's from George Eliot, and the quote is, It is one of the secrets in that change of mental poise, which has been fitly named conversion, that to many among us, neither heaven nor earth has any revelation till some personality touches theirs with peculiar influence, subduing them into receptiveness." just just like the most romantic thing ever.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's so interesting because it is this thing of like romantic versus healthy. And I don't know. We see it play out in healthy ways and in unhealthy ways. This um, peculiar influence. The story is about how Marianne and Connell influence each other. But it's also so many times this theme comes up about how other people who build out your world, influence you, your friends, your colleagues, etc. And depending, you know, on who those people are, those people can really make you feel not normal. And I think at the beginning, particularly, we see them both so desperate to belong. So I think you're right. I think what they find in each other is this sense of belonging. Things make sense. And I think Belonging is being made to feel normal. At the beginning, I think her friend in college that we actually like, who I think is named Joanna.
1: Yeah, yeah, I love
0: Joanna. Yeah, I love Joanna. She's like, You don't want to be normal, do you? And she's like, No, I think I do. Like, I think I do want to be normal. She's so desperate for that. Yeah, that boring thing of like, I
1: mean, that most people think of as boring, like when you say, "Oh, Oh, normal. Yeah as an adult, right? Am I crazy to to think that? No. Yeah.
0: We're like, I don't want a normal life.
1: I want an extraordinary life of adventure. (laughs) And yeah, I think what you're saying is so true, that sense of belonging. I feel like her definition of normal is just different from the average person.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And then I think by the end they're okay not being normal, quote unquote normal, because I think what they have, I think if I had to define like what this relationship is, it is falling in love in a way that you kind of build your own secret world with them. Mm -hmm. And it's like the person that understands you in a crowded room. And we see this again and again in the series in this way when they're like drawn to each other when they don't want to be. And even when they're not together, they're still each other's person. And again, that repeated line of it's not like this with other people. And I feel like what they have is something that other people don't understand, that normal people don't understand. And I think sometimes falling in love can feel like that. Like you you have this secret world, this like unshakable connection with someone, even when you don't want to or shouldn't. Yeah. I don't. I agree. I don't think it's always healthy, and we'll you know talk about this more in the next episode. But I think by the end they get to a point where they're not in their secret world anymore, and they get to have their very shared connection, but still be able to be themselves, except who they are outside of their secret world. And I think that's what makes it healthy. But it takes them a while to get there.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree with you. Do you think that there's something where we fear or they fear maybe that? if they do let other people in on
0: it, that it's ruined somehow? Maybe. I definitely feel like non-fictional people feel that way, where they're like, <laughs> yeah, the, the Damien Rice of it all. Like, it's not that we're scared. It's just that it's delicate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I wonder also if that kind of insecurity is maybe what made Connell want to keep it a secret. Yeah. Of, of fearing that if other people got involved, it would be ruined.
1: Yeah. And I think that Connell had made up his mind that it would be bad. He has anxiety. And uh, later we find out he's also dealing with depression Mm -hmm. for him. I feel like things are good. He's at that point in high school where he has friends. He understands where he fits in the social hierarchy. He has a good relationship with his mom. And and I can see how somebody like that doesn't want to rock the boat. Yes. And then being attracted to somebody who your friends make fun of or isn't already in your circle, I think that can be so scary for a teenager. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And someone who challenges you. I think the way that she's like, you want to study English, go to Trinity and study English. And someone who like confronts you with something that is so true about you is also scary.
1: Yeah. And so I think that's part of why he falls in love with her is that he feels seen by her. Yeah. But also his whole existence up until that point has been him accepting other people's definition of him, being like, okay, I'm the athlete or I'm the quiet one or like mm-hmm. whatever it is. And I think you see that pretty clearly in the show because in high school he just doesn't talk all that much. And oh my God, it's such a tangent. I heard that when they were creating Entourage, they were like not sure what they wanted Vinny Chase to be like. And so in the first couple episodes, he like barely speaks. He's just this person for things to be projected upon. Not that Entourage and normal people are at all alike. <laughs> but I think it's just this idea that you you let yourself be projected upon, right? Mm-hmm. So he's just like, I don't know. He doesn't even know what he wants to study. He doesn't know if he really likes what his friends like. He's not rocking the boat. And then yeah. Marianne comes along and is like, I like you. And she on the other hand has nothing to lose.
0: I feel like that's such a good assessment of Connell because he helps me understand the type of person i don't know i think it's hard because we run in similar circles of people that are so driven and so clear about what they want you know most of us chose to study theater or writing or the arts at 18 and that's a bold choice so we come from that kind of community So I think sometimes I'm wrongly quick to judge people who, quote, don't know what they want. And seeing his anxiety and insecurity so transparently laid out helped me understand somebody who even has trouble identifying how they feel about something because they're constantly projected upon. So they don't know how they actually feel. So when they have this conversation where she's like, so you don't know how you feel about something. So like, how do you know what you want? And he's like, I usually don't know what I want. And I was like, oh, I'm I mean, I just had a Marriott and Connell conversation with somebody where see they were like, I'm just so jealous of you because you always know what you want. And I was like, You don't? He's like, No, I've never known what I've wanted.
1: And wow. that's the problem.
0: And I was like, Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the story.
1: No, <laughs> well, it's true. Um, my very good friend, you know, she had chosen to study teaching and and be go on to be a teacher but only because someone told her that she would be good at it. And mm-hmm. she was like, sure, why not? And then literally after getting a degree, teaching abroad, she was just like, I don't really want to do this. Yeah. And finally figured out what her passion was after a long time of feeling that whole, I just don't know. And I yeah. hate not knowing because it feels so lost and crappy. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and I think I think I generally have trouble understanding that kind of person on a large scale of what you want to do with your life and then on a personal scale like do you want to be with this person or do you not. I think he does help me understand that type of person that's like I just I can't figure out how I actually feel about it. The way it cripples you from making decisions about this person in your personal relationships. And we see that, you know, time and time again. And then for her, I mean, there's so much going on with Marianne, but, mm. and we'll get into more of it when we talk about her brother and the men in her life and all of these things. But Ugh, Marianne, <laughs> I, she also, I think she speaks really well to this like phenomenon we see of women who are so fiercely intelligent and witty and can stand up for what they believe in a room full of strangers. And we know so many fabulous women like that, but then when it comes to their intimate relationships, they let themselves be treated so shitty. And we yeah. see this all the time with women we personally love in our lives. and it is so often we want to like shout at our friends or you know, colleagues be like, "You're wonderful. How do you let this guy treat you like this?" And I think we see in her how insecurity and a desire to fit in can truly drive all of your decisions for a period in your life if you let it. And we see her do that for years.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I think what's so interesting about Marianne is that, like you said, she can have this duality of this strength and have the opinions and have the goals and the wants. But still, her fatal flaw is that she's just scared. She's not lovable. She, I think, wants to confirm her fear because if it's true, then she knows. There's this thing of like, if I ask them to to hurt me and then they do hurt me, it's because that's what I deserve. And mm. I think that's so deeply sad, but mm. it makes so much sense because of her background. I think it makes her both brave, but it's also so sad because it's yeah. like, who, care?
0: who cares? And again, like both of them, these dual insecurities, we see how the ways that they cause us to... Make comments out of insecurity, to make decisions out of insecurity, and how if those things all collide with the wrong timing and there's no sense of safety in the relationship, it just leads to like catastrophic miscommunication, which is yeah the sad thing about this series and and I think the brilliance of it is that they do walk us through their internal lives. So we know where each of them is coming from. So we know where each of them is coming from so clearly. So it's so hard to watch them miscommunicate time and time again. Yeah. Agreed. Oh, (laughs) So that's them. That's Marion and Connell as individuals, uh, a primer on their relationship. And there are times where I definitely want what they have, and there are times where I definitely don't. Uh, but either way, I think there's a lot to learn from them. And so pay very special attention, because we're going to go into relatable content. content. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I'm so happy when I'm musical theater people on here. Hit me with a button. All right, everyone. This episode particularly, we're focusing on the first half of their relationship. So we're basically going from high school through their college breakup. You may be in a Marianne and Connell situation if you're attracted to someone that you're textbook wrong for. Mm, yeah. Yeah. To most people, I would say this like attraction makes no sense. Her His friends don't understand why he'd be attracted to her. Her family doesn't probably understand why she'd be attracted to him. And I think we see this nonfictionally in like being attracted to someone of a completely different social circle, different ages, different classes, cultures, et cetera. You shouldn't be attracted to them, but somehow you are.
1: Yes. I mean, I think the uh, general public watching the show is like, we're all attracted to them. Yeah. But... <laughs>
0: I think the way they do is still do
1: a good job because these like perfect models for like, they shouldn't, they, we get it. They, get they shouldn't it. be together. Yeah.
0: <laughs> you're like, you're right. She is ugly. She's like she, the most gorgeous person. She world. has a braid. <laughs> yeah. She has a braid. She's braided in severe bangs and, and then her bangs soften <laughs> over time. So that's the progression of beauty. <laughs> oh my God. She's not blonde. Yeah. Fucking Rachel. <laughs>
1: You might be in a Marianne and Connell situation if the J.P. Sachs, Julia Michaels song, If the World Was Ending, You'd Come Over, right, is basically your relationship theme song, mm-hmm. where if everything is shitty, they come together, but like in normal life, nobody knows that they know each other, really, or like acknowledge each other's existence.
0: Yeah. Okay, this one's less sweet. You may be in a Marianne (laughs) and Connell situation if you find yourself compromising in a million small ways to please others, to divert attention from yourself, to be likable, and all these little compromises add up to big, huge compromises in who you are being yeah
1: Ooh. um you may be in a Marianne and connell relationship
0: if you think someone is going to ask you to the dance and oh. they don't oh my god crushed me I love Connell's mom so much. Oh, Lorraine <laughs> is the MVP, the MVP of the series. But she's like, drop me off. I will walk home because I can't be in the car with my shitty ass son. who <laughs> didn't ask the girl he's fucking to the, to the dance. You may be in a Marion and Connell relationship if you are absolutely frozen by your anxiety or insecurity, and that prohibits you from communicating your wants and needs.
1: Hmm, yep. That is really accurate. That's like succinct. Sums it up, man. You may be in a Marianne and Connell situation
0: if the sex is just better than with anybody else. Hell yeah. (laughs) (laughs) It's so funny to have a show where like, everyone's like, yes, the miscommunication, but also the sex we have to talk about. They talk about their own sex. They're just like, yeah, we're really good at this together. And finally, you may be... And maybe most importantly, you may be in a Marion and Connell situation if you are uh, hooking up with someone who insists on keeping you a secret. Uh, yeah. Oh. Sometimes when I'm doing this show, I have to remind myself that like, this is fictionalized and this is a TV show and this doesn't happen in real life. But then I just had a conversation with someone who was like, yeah, and he wanted to keep it a secret from all of our coworkers for way longer than it should, even though everybody knew anyways. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah, no, this <laughs> Absolutely happens. So like we said, this episode, we're kind of covering vaguely episodes one through seven. So while in this first half of the uh, series or the story, there's like a million missed moments between Marianne and Connell. There are also two very large themes, I would argue, that prevail over most of the relationship. And that is somebody keeping you a secret. And a failure to communicate what you want. So let's start with the secret thing. Because like I said, I think it still happens, even, even non-fictionally.
1: Yeah. And I feel like I give them a little bit more of a pass because they're 16 or 17. Yes, exactly. Where I'm like, okay, you've never really had, you've never fallen in love, you've never had a real relationship, you've never fucked someone over before. And so I'm like, okay, okay. But then there are so many moments after it's clear that he's in love with her, that he just continues to choose yep. to hide her and to treat her like crap. And I'm like, no.
0: no. I, I almost
1: like when I was reading the book the first time, I was like, I don't know. I think I might just be done with this guy. I don't know if I should keep reading.
0: I was wondering because I think, you know, watching the series first and it's it's partially, you know, as we've said, he's hot. And then also just the performance is so empathetic. I wonder if you were just reading the book, if you'd be like, fuck Connell.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think because you the way it's written is so beautiful that you really get to know them on multiple different levels. And so you want to know what happens to them even if they're maybe not good people. But Mm -hmm. in the show, they did such a freaking good job of making you empathize with connell not because of what he did but how he felt the minute he asked her he like Mm. was sick and then when he's like walking across the lawn and he's just like obviously
0: distraught oh so much dramatic walking across the lawn in this movie (laughs) in this show i love it You know, I feel like we've all been in this situation where you have a vibe with somebody. If someone is texting you at like 2 a.m. when you get home from the bar, from the party, from the group hang or the office party, but they don't put their arm around you or even acknowledge you when you're at the bar or the group hang or the office party and that was not a consensual decision that you two made together, then you're being mistreated. I think we see how she gets there because I think we all do this thing when we're trying to make it work with somebody that we're really into, because she's so into him, these little tiny compromises. Her, nobody needs to know, which is what she tells him when she thinks he's about to kiss her to like get him to kind of do it. Yeah. Is our, we don't have to put a label on it or Mm. I'm not looking for anything serious. It's like a guy who's like, I'm having a guy's night. And I'm like, oh no, totally fine. Like have your night with the boys instead of Can I meet your friends? It's these little ways that we compromise ourselves to make it easy on them when that's not how you feel. When you do want to label, you do want to meet his friends. You do feel like you deserve that respect. That's the 2020 version of the Marianne and Connell hiding somebody that you date, I think.
1: Yeah. Damn. In the show when she says people wouldn't have to know, I I feel like the subtext is like, kiss me. You know? Yeah. Yeah. I think she means it because she sticks by her word. She's not yeah. somebody who's gonna then go pass a note to somebody in class and be like, right. guess who I'm yeah. hooking up with? You know? Yeah. And partially that's because she doesn't quote unquote have friends. But she respects his wishes, whatever that is. And I think she mm-hmm. respects him as a person and thinks he's so special and unique and is like already in love with him that she is like, okay, this is what he wants, and that's all really that matters to me. Yeah. But it's so sad when it
0: continues. Right. Because I think the breaking point is the dance. Because there's a degree uh, to it, yeah. which is, like, he talks about how, especially in the book, like, the guys at school will, like, talk about the girl that they fucked over the weekend. And the girls all talk about the things that he did or the things that he said. And Connell describes how he feels secure and fortunate that he knows Marianne would never do that. And there's a degree to that that's like, just respect. What happens between us is intimate and sacred. And like, I would never disrespect you by, you know, telling somebody something you moaned in my ear. Then it gets to the point when it gets to the level of the dance, then that's like the boundary that gets crossed. And the dance is after he tells her that he loves her.
1: Yeah. Because because he tells her he loves her when after the whole thing, like the boob grab. The
0: boob grab happened. Which, alert, alert, the boob grab. The boob grab, the boob grab. <laughs> Let's talk about that night, though, because I feel like that night was a breaking point. It's like a fundraiser for the dance. And they're all out. And this random guy comes. And I feel like in the book, it's it's a little more graphic. He like, In the book, they say like he slipped under her dress, this random guy, and grabs her boob. Yeah. And then she you know, freaks out and uh goes into the alley or the bathroom and everyone kind of chases after her and the fucking Rachel and whatever that other guy's name is are like, it was a joke, we were laughing. And then Connell's like, fuck off, Rachel. Like, are you okay? And it's that night that they go home. That's when she tells him that she's been hit before by her dad. And yeah. that's when he tells her he loves her.
1: Yes. Okay. For the only thing I wanted to add, uh, which may or not be relevant, um, is that I think along the lines of like, what does it look like when somebody keeps you a secret? I think you're forced to compartmentalize your life to make sense of it. There's this idea that when they're together and there's no one else around, like that's when he can touch her and that's when they can be intimate and romantic with each other. And like some, for whatever reason, like in high school, I, I think it's just because of like the sort of expected social hierarchy and like where they think they fit there that they can't be affectionate with each other in real life because it would like ruin their lives or something ridiculous but it forces Marianne to like create these different parts of her I mean him too but because he's the one who sort of makes this edict I feel like she's forced to be like okay I'm a happy girl in love for the first time in my life Mm. but like that's only in private. And at school, I have to be exactly the same as I've always been.
0: Yeah. I just think
1: that's so shitty.
0: And then I think it's this moment where she, I think she goes to that fundraiser hoping like maybe there will be a crossover, but I think the fallout of the boob grab night, which I would give Connell credit credit because in the moment, I mean, you know, obviously we wish he could have prevented it, but like in the moment he does the right thing, which is like, everybody fuck off. Are you okay? Let's get you out of here. And he like takes her home, tells her that he loves her. And then it's everybody starts talking to him and is like, did you fuck Marianne? Like what happened the rest of that night? You guys looked really cozy, blah, blah, blah. And I think that's when we realize like he cannot handle any attention on him at all. Yeah. He has his first panic attack yeah, he throws up in the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And I think that is what prompts him to take Rachel to the dance. It's like, he can't handle the type of like attention that would be on him for taking Marianne. That does not make yeah. it excusable. It's like when you apologize to somebody and you take everything back
1: because you know you hurt their feelings, even though you meant it and probably some of it had to be said. Yeah. And it's a hard conversation to have, but, you know, some of it, is gonna it's just gonna hurt and i think that they're i don't know if it's like our generation because they're kind of around the same age as us this idea that like everything just has to be like smooth and easy and nice and understandable we have to understand it and i don't think he understands what's happening with his
0: first time falling in love so then yeah so then her response is to drop out of school which Wow. <laughs> yeah. I wish I could have been that dramatic in high school every time I got uh, my heart broke. <laughs> my parents would have been like, you're doing what? what? <laughs> Absolutely not. We get, get, get your ass in bed. You're waking up in the morning and going to school. So this is skipping ahead a little and then we'll double back. But eventually mm-hmm. in college, they do talk about it. You know, they finally do acknowledge what happened and he apologized. So yeah. here's this. Did you ever think about asking me to the dips? I know it's such a stupid thing, but uh, I'm um, curious whether you thought about it.
1: To be honest, uh, no. Yeah, I wish that I did. Would you suggest? I feel really guilty about all that stuff I said to you about uh, how bad it would be if people found out. Like, obviously that was just, that was just what was going on in my head. and There'd be no reason why anybody would care. I just... <clears throat> I think I just suffer from anxiety with those sort of things. I don't know. I still think about it all the time. I still think about why I acted in such a fucked up way. And I'm really sorry, Marianne. I I really am sorry.
0: So do you, do we think this is enough? What do we think of this apology? Is, Is this a forgivable thing? Okay. So I think,
1: I think it's forgivable. For them and their relationship, and I think she, the acting is really good, and you see that she has accepted it. It's still, it's not like it didn't hurt her or doesn't still hurt her, but she wants a relationship, what a a relationship or a friendship, just some kind of relationship with Connell, and she got to hear what she needed to hear. I think if it were me, I would need more words than what Connell said Mm -hmm. in that scene, but. As we know, they like really deeply understand each other. They're yeah. they're not ones to like talk on and on and on and on. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and also he's growing up now. I think that yeah, like I I just think we kind of live in this cancel culture where somebody who's made a mistake that they have learned from and made amends to be a better person because they were like, wow, I really screwed up there. I think that that. I think she sees that and therefore is like, okay.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I think it's forgivable because he ha- it happened so young. But also just, I think, though he's of little words, I think she sees, next time anyone wants to apologize for me as, as anything, just look as shameful as he looks. He just looks like pitiful in this scene. He's distraught. Like, I, this destroyed him. And we know it destroyed him. Because yeah. we see him crying in the streets outside of the Debs ball on mm-hmm. the phone being like, Marianne, I love you. Um, I just want someone to cry in the streets over me. <laughs> That's all I really want in this life. You're
1: you're right. I feel like I erase everything I've ever said tonight. If someone looks at me like
0: that, it's it's... <laughs> It works. It's true. Like I were like, set these boundaries, do this. But if you mm-hmm. love me as much as he loved her, that's fine. But you're right. No, he should have said more. And I would also argue this is, you know, like advice sprinkled in is that he probably should have shown her with his actions more, that he's yeah. not that person anymore that is afraid to hide things. But the mm-hmm. problem is, is that he's not past that issue yet fully. And it will continue to come up in their relationship. Like I see why she moved past it in the moment, but it it wasn't fully dealt with. So it plays into this like round two of their relationship when they date in college.
1: When they meet again in college, Marianne pulls like the most me move that I've ever seen in a show where she's like, it's literally like a year later, maybe like Uh probably not even. And she's like, oh, um... Yeah, I'm over it. It's so fine. We can be friends now. I have a cute quippy line. Uh, a uh, Connell, whatever, back from the dead. I'm totally butchering yeah. this for all Palmer of you who
0: Waldron, know. back from the dead, or whatever she says. I know what you're talking
1: about. <laughs> yeah, and I was just like, God. I would have been like, if I ever see that guy again, this is what I'm going to say. And he's going to know I am so over it. And I'm going to seem so cool. And I'm going to make sure that I look cute every day, that I might see him on campus. But I'm over it. I'm so over it because that was so long ago.
0: Yeah. and Look at me. I'm in college and I have curtain bangs now and I'm hot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I smoke cigarettes now. I've changed so much. And it's just like, no, I
1: haven't. That happened to me like- weeks ago and I'm not over it. (laughs) Okay. The sex. The sex.
0: Yeah. Just because, you know, we're going to go to their relationship in college, but I figured like now is the good time to talk about the thing that uh, overlaps both high school and college. And that is the sex in normal people, which is such a big part of the show that everyone talks about it. So I, I feel like we should talk about it in two ways. One is in a relationship when the sex is as you said, in relatable content, like one of the most important things, how does that happen and why does that happen? And, how, you know, sex as a measurement of intimacy in a relationship, but also why cinematically, why from a storytelling perspective, are we all obsessed with it too? I think it's worth a conversation on, for, on both things. Oh, yeah. I think cinematically,
1: I was thinking about this a lot because you posed this question and, and then I was rewatching everything. And I was like, I think that the sex in this show is so good because... It feels so personal and intimate. When I think of like a classic TV sex scene, I think of like, I, and I love Shondaland, but I think of like Olivia Pope being shoved up against the wall and it's yep. like so hot and heavy. But I think in my mind, it could be any guy with Olivia Pope. It's not mm-hmm. specific to that guy. It's yes. not like he knows her intimately and therefore is touching her neck in the right way that he knows it's just like he loves that part of her body or whatever
0: oh my god I'm getting like hot over here sorry <laughs> <laughs> but but you
1: know what I mean like when you watch Daisy Edgar Jones and Paul Mescal whatever they are really good actors and I feel like they're a really good partnership in mm-hmm. this show like their sex those sex scenes are so vulnerable as actors yeah they're so naked oh naked they're so naked and look we're both actors so watching it you know there's a camera crew you know there's a director and it doesn't feel like it at all and I think they make each one different it's like the sex scene is a continuation of what's going on with them like Mm their first sex scene is so sweet Yeah, we can stop if it hurts and they're giggling and Mm -hmm. like and that's so true like that's so real it feels like they really want each other it's not just like they want sex which i think every human being wants sex they want it with this person because there's something about each other that feels like they're the only one that gets them at that moment in time yeah and and i just think like in general in the book and in the show the sex is part of the story it's not just like if you've ever read like erotica book it's just like purely to describe members and like Mm -hmm, body parts mm -hmm. and
0: stuff. And this is about them as a couple or whatever they are. I think that's why it works on both fronts because the sex that they're having is not particularly creative or wild or, um, you know, acrobatic, (laughs) (laughs) it's nothing like beyond the first four pages of Kama Sutra. But I think we're not used to, as an audience, seeing, A, just sex scenes played out as long as they are played out. Uh, You know, kudos to the production and the Hulu, et cetera, for letting us basically see the whole thing. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes we see them, like, getting naked to orgasm. And I think we're so used to seeing someone, like, pressed against a wall and then dropped on the bed and then a cutaway. That's true. I think you'd have, like, the technically best sex of your life with someone where you're, like upside down and uh, sitting in this place and standing in this place. And like, (laughs) where you're like, I don't know what was happening. And I just it. But if you're not in love with that person, it just feels different. So even if I mean, there are people that I'm like, that was probably technically the best sex of my life. Like they're definitely the best at it, but I wouldn't call it the best sex of my life because I wasn't in love with that person. And I think we're just not used to seeing people in love. As you're saying, the amount of chemistry and intimacy that these two actors built on screen fully played out. Yeah, and I think you make a,
1: make a really good point about, about that. Like sex is fun. I mean, mm-hmm. if, if both... People are into it and down to be a little – like I mean, sex is vulnerable. Down to be vulnerable mm-hmm. with each other if you're in that place. Whether or not you're in love with each other, like, sex can be very fun. I think that that aspect of a relationship, at least for me – and maybe this is, like, a very Scorpio thing to do <laughs> – but, like, sex is very important to me, like, for it mm-hmm. to be good – I think if you have like what they have, it's everything is in sync. They're sexually compatible, but they're also mentally compatible. Like that's really hard to find. You can, like you said, you can have really good sex with somebody and be like, I'm not in love with them and I don't want a relationship with them. Yeah. And you can have somebody where you're like, oh my God. I love their brain and I love their personality, but for whatever reason, we're just like not compatible sexually. And I feel like Esther would be like, well, you can work on that part and like mm-hmm. you guys can just communicate and figure it out. And I think
0: that's probably true. But for these young people who are probably not going to do that, this all just like instantly works. Sex kind of does serve as a measuring tool for their intimacy in a way. And I think it's sometimes because they have so much trouble Using their words, yeah, and they can't tell each other how they feel, and so their love language becomes sex, physical touch to the nth degree. <laughs> yeah, there's a scene, I think it's the one where they have sex in college. They make a joke at the end, which they very oh. rarely joke. Where I like that joke too, it was funny. I was just like, I think I started to have feelings for you there in the middle because they had just had this like eye contact, take it slow, sex being so present because they often don't have the other tools to communicate. The sex then does become the assurance that I do have the feelings for you because look at how intimate and pure and connected these moments are. So actually it works out well because I feel like talking about how good the sex they have in college does speak to things are going great. Basically, we're going to start to have this conversation of like, why did they break up? Because I think we all um, screamed at our screens because it was so obvious to us that there was a communication breakdown. What what I love is like a, a relationship teaching tool for this specific podcast is like, I think it's great that it was so clear to us what was happening. There was the big miscommunication, but there was a million little missed moments in between. So let's start with the ways that that built up and the ways in which version 2.0 of their relationship still had a ton of issues. And I think this is best understood by discussing what's going on internally with them, like what they're still struggling with and not communicating. So I think with Marianne, and you know, we we already talked a lot about Her insecurity of of feeling unlovable. Mm -hmm. And I'm trying to imagine, because there were definitely times in my life where I've been socially isolated or like not felt popular or whatever. But I think what I did have is people around me, my family or my close friends being like, this thing about you that other people don't understand, like that's actually what makes you great and makes you special. Her home life is her brother saying that thing that makes you special, your intelligence. That's actually why people fucking hate you. So I think... She's still dealing with his insecurity that she's unlovable, and that her intelligence makes her unlovable, her tenacity makes her unlovable, her wealth I think is a big sticking point with like her and Connell specifically. Yeah, and it comes up a lot of her feel of her coming off as like cool or cold. Him not being outwardly affectionate to her validates that insecurity. Yeah, um, because she feels like if I was lovable, you'd be all over me, and so mm-hmm. that starts to build. I think.
1: Yeah, like throughout their relationship, she's constantly asking him, "Oh, well there's like a million girls who would want to date you." That's I think the the prime example because he doesn't understand why she's doing that. Yeah. You can see in his face. He's like, "What? Like there's that part the first, when they're hooking up in high school where he's like i'm literally still inside you <laughs>
0: which is another funny part.
1: Yeah. And he's just like what why are you saying these things? Like you're beautiful. You're and he kind of gets it more as they get older that she's not necessarily just saying that to say that it's because she really doesn't know that that certain parts of her have value. Like i think she yes. knows she's intelligent. She says it when um their friend uh, Peggy asks if they want to have a threesome. Like she's trying yeah. to deflect because Connell doesn't want to do it. But then she ends up saying something that I think it looks like she feels is very true. Where she's like, "I just think I'm cold and and kind of unlovable." Yeah. And I think that maybe Connell feels like so understood by her that he thinks she knows things about him that she actually doesn't get because. He just feels so safe and comfortable that, like, she's gonna know, but he doesn't actually say it to her. So, right. Yeah.
0: Could, yeah. And I think she doesn't say things to him like yeah. a lot of her history or it, her history, you know, the history of abuse in her family, her deepest insecurities about feeling unlovable. And also, even what I would describe as like basic wants and needs in a relationship, like being touched um, <laughs> when you're yeah. among friends. She doesn't want to do anything to make herself anything but like available and easy to him. And I think that's a little bit with what the the point of view of like, you could do anything you wanted to me. I mean, partially Mm -hmm. that's just like raw sexual attraction that Palmas call probably, you know, would make anybody feel. But I think as non-fictional people, I think this is what we do when we're scared of being (laughs) some of my favorite phrases, too much or a lot. Yeah, with our baggage and our opinions and our boundaries and our desires. And we hide these parts about us in little ways all the time, because we think if people knew those things, we'd lose them. Yeah. I I, so yeah, I think it's great that this is like so obvious to people that she should not be hiding these things. Because I mean, a just nobody should have to hide any part of themselves if they if they want to be in an honest relationship. But I think it's great that we see he like wanted to know those things and he needed to know those things to fully understand the scope of what's going on with her. Yeah. So, you know, it's a great lesson and be a lot, be too much, be everything that you are, because if someone's really be extra, because if someone's really worth your time, they'll celebrate you for all that you are. And if you don't, you're not who you are. If you're not all the messy parts of you, this person doesn't know how to celebrate you or who they're really celebrating. So I don't know, next time you find yourself withholding like an opinion or something you want or need or a truth about yourself, call it out because you're being a Marianne and we we know where it leads, to a lonely summer. (laughs) To a lonely summer with no (laughs)
1: job by the pool with your family, you know, like... Watching the bugs in the grass. (laughs) Yeah. The miscommunication breakdown, just because I think I have spoken mostly for Marianne on this. But Kamal, I think his big misstep, which I feel like you've highlighted, but maybe it bears repeating, is not saying, hey, I lost my job. I can't afford my apartment. I don't want to, but I'm going to have to move home. Even if he can't, if he's like too proud, you know, insecure that she might not want him
0: to stay there and doesn't want to flat out ask, which I think he could very well just ask. What do you think it is that gets him to this place where he's so insecure that he can't say that?
1: Do you think he's worried that like, you know, if you given their history that she would be feeling used Or it would be about their wealth disparity, you know, like Uh, you're rich and I'm poor and I can't afford a place. So that makes me feel insecure. And also the fact that like, I've made you feel like less than in the past. And like, I don't want you to think I'm just like dating you to live here.
0: Yeah. The wealth disparity. It's, I mean, just like a brilliant choice to layer that in because it's just like a nuance that kind of colors a lot of parts of their relationship. I think that is like a little peephole into like this Bigger thing that I feel like goes on is going on with him the whole college part of their relationship, and I think he doesn't think that he's enough for her. She gets to college and she's a you know fabulous. She's chicer, like we said, she's got the curtain bangs. You know, he says something about like trying on a hundred different versions of himself, and she has these friends that always know how they feel in every moment. They're highly opinionated, highly intelligent people, and they know who they are, and he still can't figure it out. And he feels like he should have already. I think that's the big thing. Yeah. And I think it's this feeling like he's not enough for her that causes him to not be very forward or affectionate in like touching her and the physical touch and like not being able to have the attention on him. He What he doesn't realize is that for her, I think that brings up all these insecurities of feeling unlovable. And I think for her, it still brings up the like, you hid me in high school aspect. Mm -hmm. And now I need you to be like very forward that you're with me. If this was a different show, I feel
1: like this would be like the social media post, you know?
0: Oh, absolutely. I feel like
1: my friends who are in relationships, it runs the gamut. There are people who post so many loving couple photos, and then some were like, you'd never know they were in a relationship if you just looked at their social media. But I do think for them, Marianne's the one who's like, maybe you could just like change your relationship status. And Yeah. And he's like, oh, I don't use Facebook. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Right. I'd want people to stalk you. And after like two minutes, figure out that you have a girlfriend. Like it doesn't have to be blatantly obvious. I'd like there to be something in there.
1: Something that's like, oh, I should not slide into his DMs.
0: Yes. Yeah. (laughs) But yeah, he like really can't do that. Until we see him do it at the pool where he like yeah puts his arm around her. But at that point, like she doesn't know what's going on with him. And like not knowing he can't stay the whole summer. Yeah. And he doesn't go know what's going on with her. It's just so sad. And then that leads us into the ultimate communication breakdown. I, they took this out of the show. I'm
1: pretty positive it's in the book. In the book, they're all there. And Marianne kind of notices that he's touching her where like anyone can see them. And it's Mm -hmm. really important to her. And he says something like, I'm just, he's going to tell her. It feels like he's going to tell her, but then he doesn't. And instead he says, I'm just really happy. And it's so sweet and so nice. You're like, wow, they finally figured it out. And maybe in like the show version, it would just feel too on the nose for the next scene to be their breakup. Um, (laughs) For him to be like, I'm just really happy. (laughs) But I think he is like, even though like, I don't think he even realized they were breaking up until it was happening. You know, he's just like, how did this get away from me?
0: Yeah, because years later, he's like, I really don't know what happened, which is a classic man move to be like, <laughs> what
1: was it? You're like, oh, where were your words? Where were your yes. words? Because
0: here's what he does. And and this is going to lead us into kind of like the final like one-two punch of the episode is... OK, if we were like my favorite murder about this, but for breakups, <laughs> um, about like, figuring out how this breakup happened, I think, you know, he gets this rejection from college. He's very insecure and he loses his job. He's feeling less than. So then he, I think this like insecurity of not feeling enough totally cripples him and he can't ask to just stay the summer, which we've established he absolutely could have. And then I think what he does is he pulls a classic defensive and he says, I suppose you'll want to date other people, mm-hmm. which what she hears, because she's in the midst of feeling so unlovable. Yeah. So what she hears is, I am unlovable. You do want to date other people. You're breaking up with me. This intimate feeling that I have with you is just more one-sided than I thought. Than I thought. Exactly. He wants out is what I would hear. And I think that's what she does here. And so they break up the the nail in the coffin is i suppose you'll want to date other people. Yeah, the fact that he says that is just like, oh my god, what are you doing to yourself? Yeah. But i think
1: that's him feeling unworthy and unlovable too. And yep. he's just he's calling it out before anybody else can call it out. And you know, he's like, oh, i'm just going to say it because that's probably what she's thinking anyway. And then yeah. she's like, oh god, I am unlovable and he doesn't want to be with me. And it's just so sad. It's I've so said it so sad. sad a million times tonight. Yeah,
0: well, I mean, it's a sad show. It's a sad Irish show. Um. Yeah. This exact kind of exchange, we make comments like that. I think even in our 2020 lives, all the time. I, I think when you do that, when you pull a defensive, like I suppose you want to date other people. Or when he says like, I bet you would pretend you don't know me if I went to Trinity. Mm-hmm. Or she says, maybe I should just leave you alone. And I think we say little phrases like this out of insecurity to test people so that they make us feel more secure by correcting us and saying like, of course, I wouldn't ignore you or don't go. I want you to stay. And, you know, I think nonfictionally, this looks like you don't have to come if you don't want to like pretending it doesn't matter to you (laughs) or like, well, it's not like I'm not dating other people, which is a test to see if they're dating other people. Or even like when you're vaguely talking about the weekend and you're like, yeah, well, you know, keep me posted or I'll keep you posted instead of being like, I'd like to see you. Let's make concrete plans because we don't want to seem desperate or clingy. And I think Marianne and Connell are a lesson in how these like little, little moments cause a complete misrepresentation of how we actually feel about somebody. Yeah. Which leads... Two more insecurity. And I think in this breakup, it's this moment of he's what he's doing is he's putting her to a test of like, I suppose you'll want to see other people, hoping she'll be like, no, of course not. But because she's been made to feel so insecure by everything we talked about, she's not in a place where she can rise to the occasion and be the brave one, the bold one, and the vulnerable one. She's going to be like, yeah, I guess so, I suppose, whatever she says, which is not what Connell wanted here and not what Connell wanted. And I think that's the risk you run when you make these defensive comments based out of insecurity is that one day you're going to run into somebody that's feeling just as insecure as you are. And they're not going to be willing to save the moment and make you feel more secure. They're going to feel just as insecure as you are. And then nobody is going to get what they want. And I think that's why we end up in these situations all the time where we are Marion and Connell and nobody's getting what they want because nobody decided to be vulnerable and everyone decided to be defensive. So we just have to stop doing this shit. Like say you don't want to date other people, make the concrete plans and ask to stay in the Dublin apartment over the summer. Yeah. I'm just going
1: to say that if my therapist were a guest on your podcast.
0: Oh, which she could be anytime.
1: (laughs) She could be probably anytime. She would, if I was Connell, she'd be like, okay, Vika, I'm so sorry that you lost your job. That really sucks. It seems like this Marianne person is really important to you. What do you want to happen like in your ideal situation? You know, what's your fear about that? And then she might suggest, or maybe based on that conversation, I might like plan what I'm gonna say that wouldn't make me Mm. feel totally embarrassed. I wouldn't be like totally planning the whole thing, but I'd be like, okay, if I say like some version of this, I won't be like crawling in my skin, but I'll still be communicating what it is that I actually want. So, Connell. That's my advice to you, all you Connells out there in the world.
0: <laughs> Connells, script it out a little bit. What do you think? What, okay, if you had Maybe to write,
1: a little. He's a writer.
0: Yeah. If you had to write like a vague, I'm putting you on the spot, but if we had to write like a vague script for Connell right now about what he could have said to make this, you know, still be in his comfort zone, but still ask what he wants, what could he have said?
1: I mean, God, this would be a great time for an Irish accent, but it's just like, <laughs> Marianne, I the job, the restaurant's closing for the summer and Niall needs somebody who can pay rent. And like Lorraine says, I can come back and stay, but I don't really want to be that far away from Trinity. Like, even if he just want to say, I don't want to be that far away, that from, far you, away from you. And
0: yeah.
1: And yeah. then stop talking. Just shut up like, for like, a second yeah. <laughs> and see what she says. And then even if she doesn't like, immediately be like oh my god just stay here then she right. might be like well, what what do you think we could do like maybe maybe i can ask so and so you know whatever like because mm-hmm. you indicated a little bit more about yeah. how you feel and yes. even if it's not about her which seems to be very hard for you connell right right or you could just be like hey i really love you you know that don't you because he says that a million times and um i also love this apartment and i <laughs> Like drinking coffee, or sorry, they drink tea. I like having tea with you, and I'd like to keep doing that, even without a job.
0: <laughs> Marianne, can I freeload off of you and drink tea with you all summer? And honestly, she would have said yes. Yes, yes. All right, so we wrapped up this uh, this one with some advice to to the Connells out there, a little <laughs> a little to you. What we're saying is uh, journal and go to therapy. Before we go, you know, obviously, miscommunication People treating us like shit in high school. These are things that happen, you know, in our non lives all the time. Um, do you have any non-fictional stories about, about being a Marianne or being a Connell?
1: When I was in high school, I was friends with a guy who was a senior and I was – well, I must have been a sophomore and he was a junior – didn't really know who he was before we were partnered up for this peer program where we ended up teaching a class at lunch and they like randomly paired people. And we became friends and then like very surprisingly, because I feel like that's sort of how it happens when you fall in love for the first time. I was like, oh my God, I'm in love with this person. We made each other mix CDs. Uh, He would show up at my house like, as a surprise
0: that is like out of a uh, an irish drama I would
1: say. <laughs> minus the accents put in new jersey accents yeah. he was like oh i have a surprise for you and i lived very close to new york city we got on the bus we went to new york we went kind of like around the neighborhood where my mother had lived and he took me to like an indie film festival.
0: Meanwhile, oh this guy is
1: 16 years old, you know, like...
0: Yeah, I was going to say, you did this in high school?
1: Yeah, very romantic, very sweet. I was like head over heels. I was very confused by what our relationship was. And I kept kind of like mm-hmm. waiting for him to make a move. And then his best friend was like, he's going to ask you to prom. And I was like, oh my God, everything's like happening. We're going to have a first kiss, like blah, 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 blah. And just getting closer and closer. There were so many sort of fake outs where I thought he was going to ask me. And then I found out, like probably on AIM, <laughs> <the> concert, <laughs> that he asked this like very pretty, very petite girl in his grade to the prom. <sighs> and I was crushed. I was on like a... Chorus field trip, like the big nerd that I was. When Classic, I found yeah. out, and so when I saw this scene where he doesn't ask her to the deb's and she doesn't go, I I just re- like could remember that feeling of just like thinking you're on the same page as somebody else yeah. and thinking yeah. it's gonna happen, especially when they you're that young and like it's so exciting, and then your dreams are dashed.
0: <laughs> so what? Oh my god, little Vika. What ended up happening with your friendship with him? So we stayed
1: friends. Um, We stayed friends for a long time. It definitely was in, like, kind of gray area where I always felt kind of confused about what was happening. But similar to Marianne and Connell, I, like, never would – just straight out be like, do you have romantic feelings for me? Because I have romantic feelings for you, (laughs) you Mm -hmm. know? Mm -hmm. So I think that's sort of when I started reading and then watching this book, what I related to was like, you can know something, but I think it's just hard to say it because you feel like there's so much at stake or like that person might not be in your life
0: they almost deal with this in the like 3.0 version of the relationship Mm -hmm. where they are already friends. And then it's like, are we going to do this? And this is where this is a preview next episode. This is her being like, I don't find what you want. Obvious. Yes, exactly. I think everyone's dream is that it is a Connell situation. Why they don't show up emotionally At least this is my dream. I like to think that everybody that rejected me or didn't show up emotionally the same way I wanted them to has the moment outside of the devs where they cry in the street. I really, that's what I'd like to believe.
1: We want them to hurt. We want it to mean that much to them.
0: Yeah. Or in, and to maybe realize a little too late how much it meant to them. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I hope he cried at prom. (laughs) All right, everyone. Well, we're back next week to discuss the second half of the story, including all the trash men that Marianne dates and brings to her Italian Ugh. villa and makes a fig salad for. Um, <laughs> and and of course, the heavier parts of the story, um, including their mental health issues and how they deal with that and, you know, how they end up together. And if we think they make it work,
1: And if you have questions about what a coop is, we will explain that too. Yes, Connell's chain. Oh my god, put this wherever you want. Connell's chain is an Instagram account that everyone needs to follow. It is. is It's called Connell's chain. It hello everyone. It's called Connell's chain, and it is literally dedicated to Connell's chain and its sexy photos of Paul (laughs) Mescal.
0: I can't wait to follow this account.
1: Um connell waldron's chain we stand connell's chain with like the wet drips
0: that's the bio that's incredible okay great uh, vika do you want to tell people where to find you online in the meantime sure um i'm on instagram
1: um at vika Stubbs. that's s-t-u-b-b-s because my last name is hard to pronounce so i shortened <laughs> it <laughs> um, right. Yeah. Um, I'm newly on Twitter, so you can be one of my first 10 followers. Um, but yeah, I mostly on Instagram. So find me there.
0: Right. Great. And you can watch uh Vika's web series there too. Yeah. Save the date. Perfect. And in the meantime, you know, let us know about your own Marianne and Connell, um, miscommunication breakdowns and, uh, your favorite sex scene. Oh my God. <laughs> yes. We need to know. The show. Yeah, that's what we... That's the pressing details we all want. Um, and then we will see you next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe.